today? I'm fired up. <laughs> Ready to go. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the Champagne Socialists of Check Please today. Welcome back to Check Displeased, a podcast brought to you by two Champagne Socialists who bring the only nuanced critique of the webcomic Check Please to the internet. I'm Secret OMG. I'm Tomato Greens. Well, guys, it just took us six takes to say I'm Tomato Greens. What the fuck are we reading today? <laughs> All right, well... Reading is a, is a really generous term for this strip. Um, we are looking at comic 1.11, Samwell versus Yale, number two, which was originally posted on December 8th, 2013. There's no blog post for this one, so don't go looking for it. Well, we're in uh, Faber, Faber uh, Memorial whatever, at the Samwell University campus, and we are four minutes and 13 seconds away from the end of the third period in a game of hockey where Samwell is playing its ECAC rival, Yale. Nobody has scored. We have a little speech bubble of a coach saying, Knight, Biddle, Wicks, your line. And then we get a shot of the bench from Biddy looking down. We have Jack having a little conversation with one of the two coaches, not sure which because the faces are obscure here, about how he thinks he could get a shot if he just got on the goalie's weak side. We have Ransom and Holster having a little conversation. So basically they're, you know, frustrated that, like, nobody's scoring in this game and they're talking about you should have done this, no, I should have done that. Somebody says, okay, let's go, Biddle. It's one of the coaches. And we see our friend Ali O'Meara hopping onto the ice. And then we also have Biddy and somebody saying, hey, shits. And then somebody saying, come on, boys. Biddy sees Yale number 18 checking Shitty, whose hockey number is 42. He's being uh, slammed into the boards. And then Biddy has big eyes, either because he's seeing this check or because he's noticing the puck. And the puck bounces off of the boards. Biddy has the puck. Somebody's like, Biddy on your right. Biddy on your left. Biddy shoots, and then Biddy shoots, and it goes into the goal, and we have a beautiful panel of Holster, Ransom, Shitty, and Jack all observing this goal, and Holster is saying, holy hell, and Ransom is saying, did Biddy just, and then Shitty is saying, fucking, and then Jack says nothing, and his eyes are very wide, and his pupils are fairly small. And then our last panel is the crowd behind the glass going wild, and Biddy looking stunned up against the glass, saying, oh, off to the left, Shitty has a beautiful look on his face, where he is just staring at Biddy with total pleasure. Okay. I mean, my first reaction to this comic was that, like, wow truly nothing happens. But I remember that not necessarily being my reaction when I first read it in like 2013. Well, I had the same reaction when I was rereading this strip to go into this recording. Not nothing happens necessarily, but more like, oh, I don't know that I'm going to have anything to say about this comic. Well, let's see if we can find something to say about it. So when I first read this, I think I remember being excited. 
And now when I read it, I'm like, of fucking course he makes the goal. Why wouldn't he make the goal? This comic is a comic in which Biddy gets what he wants. He wanted the goal, he makes the goal. All right, and I feel sort of preemptively like tired, but I remember at the time feeling excited about it and feeling like, this fish out of water like makes the goal, how exciting. Yeah, so to me, this particular strip is a prime example of how differently the story reads on a strip-by-strip basis versus when you consider Check, Please as a single work. So I would agree that from the viewpoint of like now, from the viewpoint of uh, late spring 2020, the Biddy Wins concept is pretty much the comics like single defining ideology. That's what I wrote on the outline. It is really difficult to expect that anything other than this would happen. I do wonder if that would have been your feeling reading it for the first time in 2013, or if it would be your feeling now if you had no other context for like what check please is, or like what the paratexts around check please say. If I just handed you like the year one Kickstarter or the value on hashtag hockey book, and you had nothing about check please and could just read it as a text, maybe all of the strips leading up to this one have building in suspense and maybe you actually wonder if he's even going to be able to stay upright during this game because like several strips now pretty much since the beginning of the comic have been underscoring the fact that like he's really having trouble even the past couple of strips with Jack in the previous installment Samuel versus Yale number one saying you know just promise me you'll stay upright in the game that's the kind of setup where, well, if he did faint in the middle of the game and then they lost, you would think, oh, well, you know, Jack set that up in the pretty previous strip. So I do kind of wonder if maybe like read on a strip-by-strip basis, there is a bit more suspense than we're able to access going into this particular installment. You know, I think maybe that is, I'm trying to recall, I'm trying to channel my 2013 self, and I feel like that is how it felt, where maybe Ngozi's suspense or pacing. I wonder if she struggles in the long term. I mean, I know for a fact that in the long term pacing, she does not write in ways that I personally find super satisfying. And I know that because I've been reading this comic for seven years and I'm not super satisfied. But in the strip to strip, you're right. There's been this like ratcheting of tension about Biddy's ability to succeed in the sports narrative. And here he is succeeding in the sports narrative. And it's also sort of bouncing off that the expectation that a fish out of water like won't succeed, borrowing maybe from like other kinds of sports narratives where someone has to fail before they succeed. And we've seen Biddy fail, but he hasn't failed in a game, right? Like he even says at a a previous strip, I haven't fainted in a game yet. The really bad fainting seems to be mostly in practice, which we see and access and feel sympathy for, but doesn't actually mean in his like game career, he's failing particularly intensely. And this is only a couple strips after the fact where he says, maybe I should just quit strip by strip is pretty successful. But when we get to this overarching narrative and she resolves things on a strip by strip basis, that's not as satisfying because some of those conflicts have been being raised for like 70 strips or something. Enjoying Check Please as a story, reading it from A to Z versus understanding the larger phenomenon that is Check Please and having to read 
every minute interaction and every development against the larger culture of the comic and all of the paratext produced about it and all of the discourse that surrounds it. I feel like the appeal of the comic up to this point is less so Biddy's journey in hockey than it is trying to fit yourself into the social fabric of the hockey team. There's some juicy dangling stuff about Jack's backstory. To me, when Biddy scores this goal, the important thing is the reaction of his teammates and how pleased most of them are. I mean, the thing that made the biggest impression on me that I think is sort of like the best part of this whole trip is like Shitty's face in the last panel. Like, he just looks so pumped. Just looking at Biddy like, what the fuck is just so fun. And I think that some of that has been laid into the strip up to this point because basically this comic up to this point is about Biddy trying to fit in with these dudes, not so much trying to become better at hockey, even though textually it's very much about him trying to become better at hockey. But I just, it's like really hard for me to care about whether or not Biddy is good at hockey. I mean, I think that his skill in hockey is always set against the relationship. Like, it's never like Biddy wants to be good at hockey for hockey's own sake, which anyway is often not the case when you're in a team sport. Like, you want to be, I mean, it's not, even when you listen to hockey players, like, talk after games in their, like, robotic, you know, whatever way, you know, I was with the guys and, like, you know, we all work together well, whatever. It's always about the relationship, even for people who presumably, like, also just want to be good at hockey for hockey's sake because that's what they do with their with their life. For, for Biddy, certainly, I think his desire to be good at hockey is always in a context of I want to fit in or I want to do well or I want to serve the team. I'm also thinking about how quickly this comic goes. Like when you read these strips all together, it takes like what, 10 minutes to read the first 11 strips or whatever. I mean, it takes almost no time at all. It feels very fast paced, even if it actually skips some steps that almost like is in keeping with the way it feels to read them all together. And then at the same time, when you are waiting for each individual comic to come out, this one comes out on December 8th, which is about nine days after the previous strip. Following one comes out on December 20th. All of that time in between releases also ratchets tension in a particular way, which I actually think is something Ngozi uses really, really intelligently throughout the whole comic, even if the resolution is not good. Okay, I feel like sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. I can think of a few particularly egregious examples of months-long gaps between strips where the weight of the cliffhanger created too much anticipation around what the resolution would be. And it meant that no matter what the resolution was, somebody, if not most people, were going to be let down in some way. I agree about the resolution, but I think that she, I think that like sticking the landing is where her failing is. But I think through those months of hiatus, like, she was really good at leveraging those in order to get people excited and engaged and guessing about what would happen. Yeah, but that's different than, like, using the hiatuses as a storytelling mechanism. That's, like, a publicity or, like, a readership 
goosing mechanism. It's not about helping you tell your story. I don't mean to get too far into this right here, but I think this is something that comes up a lot when I'm talking with other people on Discord or on Fail Fandom Anon or on Tumblr about Check Please, a lot of people ask the question, I'm kind of interested, should I read this? Is it worth it? And my answer to those people is like, yeah, it, it will take you, I would be surprised if it took you an hour to read all of Check Please. It's a really low investment thing once it's all there in front of you. But that's why it's important to remember it's not just the comic that we're talking about when we're talking about Check Please like the franchise. We're talking about all of these stupid paratexts that I keep bringing up over and over again. That's so much a part of it. The reason why this podcast is worth doing is because we have been in the fandom, like steeped in those paratexts. Looking at the comic again is actually really worth doing because it's a chance to like try to re-engage with what's actually on the page and think out both what's on the page and also what does this mean in the context of the broader phenomenon. And that's what I say when I say that this strip is a good illustration of the strip by strip versus all of Check Please situation. As an individual strip, it's working in certain ways. But as part of a larger thing, when you put it into context with everything else that makes up like check please as, I don't know, as like a, as like a cultural product, it becomes a different thing and it means something different. And it's possible to read it both as a single standalone strip because it's contained physically you know, on its own page, on its own Tumblr entry. It also exists in this, like, wider interconnected framework of everything else that's happened around it. And, like, I don't know, that's what makes fandom really interesting, is it's a way to sort of trace those interconnections. Something else I've seen people talking about recently is, do people who read this just as a book for the first time, they get it in the library or they pick it up at a bookstore and they're unaware of the kind of internet context of it and all of the paratexts and all of the like discourse. What do those people make of this? You know, do they get stuck on all these different things? And my guess is, you know, a lot of them probably aren't paying really close attention because they don't have those hiatuses to like pause and sit with whatever the last thing that happened was. So yeah, they're just going to move from strip to strip to strip. Like, maybe they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be hung up on the way that X, Y, and Z was phrased in this last strip because they're going to be reading the next one already. That seems certain to me. I don't know that any particular series of strips in the comic are weighty enough to sort of demand very close attention without the broader context of the community sort of discourse. So without all of that context, I don't know that there's enough to particularly grab you. I mean, like, I think it's a fun comic. I think that if I had come across it at a different point, 
I would not be as completely obsessed with it. And, and, and I can point to the fact that I was not obsessed with it. I thought it was cute. I thought other people should read it. I had like a fun time looking at it and engaging with it. But it wasn't until year three that I was like, oh, it's going down and I need to like consume every single piece of content that I can get my hands on about this comic. I wonder how many times we're going to have some version of this conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this is this is one of the things that's emerging for me in in doing this rereading is that it really is trying to read essentially two different texts, one of which is, you know, a standalone story about this blonde hockey player that is kind of plodding along, but it has its charms. And then there's like the larger cultural product. We've talked about this a little bit, but we should do some episodes where we look at the kind of broader context too. Because I think it's impossible for me to completely, even in rereading, it's impossible for me to completely remove myself from that context and how it felt, you know, however many years ago. Um, We should also talk a little bit about hockey, I think. Ugh, must we? We don't have to talk. (laughs) It is supposedly a comic about hockey. And here we are at last seeing a hockey game in strip 11, plus a couple hockey shit with Ransom and Holsters. Um, Why does it take so long for us to see the hockey? I'm going to guess it's because hockey is harder to draw than a twink sitting in a chair. Okay, we solved it. Well, I mean... It's probably also because the first time you see hockey, you want it to be impactful. I was going to say she draws events. She draws events in the lives of the characters. But that's not always true. She skips over a lot of the events in the lives of the characters. But also, she does draw some strips where nothing seemingly meaningful is happening at all. There probably is intentionality in picking this as the first hockey we actually see. It's part of this larger series, which I guess we'll break down next time, where a story is being told, you know, as a kind of three-part arc. This game is the context around which a larger story is swirling, she may not have had a story she wanted to tell about an earlier hockey game. Also, like, Biddy's first goal, that's a fairly significant thing. I mean, that's a cool thing to see. It's, if it's the first time we see Biddy playing hockey and he scores a goal, it's sort of like a double impact that, like, means more. I think for me that's also kind of like moves the question that I'm apparently obsessed with, which I would not have told you when I started this project of rereading of what genre the comic is um, pretty firmly in the sort of like romance or romantic comedy genre, because if it were a sports narrative, it borrows from sports narrative. But if it were primarily a sports narrative, I think Pocky would have shown up differently and more intensely and would have remained a bigger part of the of the comic more broadly. So here's what my proposition is. Yeah, I mean, I think by the end of Check, Please, it's definitely not about hockey. Coming into it at the end of year two, start of year three, I felt like it was almost certainly about hockey. And indeed, that was the thing that drew me to it. I also remember feeling that way. That's part of what I enjoyed about it. But I am really surprised on rereading that I feel like, wow, yeah, hockey is present. And certainly it's more present now than it is later. 
but I don't know that it's actually about hockey. Again, in the sort of sum total. In this particular strip, yeah, it's about hockey. There's a hockey game happening. Yeah, I mean, I think the the questions you would need to ask yourself are, number one, would this comic be different or basically the same if you took out hockey and made it about another sport? Or if you took out sports and made it about something else? And I think the answer is you'd have to aesthetically change some things but you could basically tell the same exact story blueprinted onto like football mm-hmm. or polo. I don't know what people play. Rugby? Point being, I feel like you could basically tell the same exact story if you just took out hockey and put in something else. You'd maybe have to change like the nicknames or, you know, certain things about the culture. But if it was about another college sport, you could do the same thing. I also think it was about like a group of MFA students or a group of like actors or a group of like history PhDs or something you could probably tell basically the same story. I think you could tell basically the same story, but there would be certain beats that would have to change just because like the relationship of sexuality to the arts is different than the relationship of sexuality to like sports. But yeah, pretty much. What would happen if you took hockey out of this comic? I think you'd have to make aesthetic changes basically if you wanted to make it about a different sport or something else. You could tell pretty much the same story. There's all sorts of homophobic industries. Toxic masculinity, I know this is going to come as a controversial statement, exists in a lot of places. So I feel like the necessity of hockey to this comic is not necessarily borne out by the end of the story. Something I find interesting is in the first panel, you see that uh, Yale has about a third more shots on goal So it seems like they're playing a better game of hockey. Even though the score is tied, Yale is creating more scoring opportunities. So it seems like they're a better hockey team. However, the corollary to that is that it seems like Johnson is a pretty good goalie. Having said that, because there wasn't that much for this comic, I I did a little looking. Yale, in fact, won the Frozen Four in 2013. So... If the Yale playing Samwell in this comic is the same Yale that exists in the real world, they are the defending national champions. So the fact that they're a a better hockey team is probably not surprising. I also noticed that the person who was checking Shitty in that panel is number 18. Based on literally nothing other than just like, well, here's something... I looked up whether or not there was a number 18 on the Yale hockey team at the time, and there was. And it was a guy named Kenny Agostino, who I found out was a fifth-round draft for the Pens in 2010. And it's possible, if you are drafted at 18, that you can basically defer your entry to the NHL and choose to go to college. So that's what this guy did. He said, hold my beer to the Pens and went to go play for Yale, won a national championship. While he was playing for Yale, the Pens traded him to the Calgary Flames in 2013. So like a hockey team can trade you even if you are not like 
actively playing for them. Basically, when teens draft you, they're not drafting you to their hockey team. They're drafting you for like the first right to put you on their roster should they choose. So there's at least one guy on the ice at the time of the game that's being depicted who managed to do what Jack Zimmerman could not do and get drafted to an NHL team. So I think that adds a little interesting shade to maybe, maybe what's going on in this comic is that there are people playing in this league who are not only doing what Jack Zimmerman is doing at the time and also doing more than he could do, which is winning the Frozen Four. They've also already been drafted to the NHL and said to the NHL, I'm not ready. So I'd like you to think about what goes through Jack's mind when he has to like see this guy who he probably like... Ngozi had recently graduated from Yale and because of her sort of like now infamous screenplay, Hardy had done a lot of uh, research watching Yale hockey, interviewing and talking to Yale hockey players, whether this is like a little Easter egg or not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. However, I do wonder if like part of her enthusiasm for hockey was that the team was doing really fucking well when she was a senior in college. I would imagine so. It's always exciting to be like, these guys are beating up those guys better, you know? Anyway, this uh, number 18 guy on Yale, he has, in fact, to this day, been sort of bouncing back and forth between the AHL and the NHL. So he's, he's played for several different teams. You know, Calgary traded him. He's been sent down and, you know, called back up like multiple times. Currently, he's playing for the AHL in Toronto. Tell me about Wolf Eyes Tomato. <laughs> well, I don't know how Wolf Eyes they are actually in this particular strip. Um, when we get to Biddy's goal, which he makes with his eyes closed, which I think is both cute and dumb, we get these like very excited reactions on the part of the three of his teammates. Said we have Holster, Ransom, and Shitty all like super psyched. Their eyes are wide. Their mouths are grinning. In the last panel, Shitty's just like fucking out of his mind about how psyched he is for this goal. And then we get Jack's like anxiety face. His brow is furrowed. His eyes are very like wide and sort of like upset and he he has some real like bags under his eyes you know he looks looks like a little anxious guy and I'm curious what is happening hasn't he been helping this guy he's been like doing these check-in clinics he's been trying to be helpful slash terrifying (laughs) you know at 4 a.m at Faber Presumably, as a captain, this should be extremely exciting. You want your team to be scoring goals, especially the first goal of the game. And if it's a player you don't expect, then all the better. That means that all the work that you've been doing with him has been working, and he's actually like getting better at the game. So I'm really curious, what is this face? Is it actually anxiety? Is it, is it something else? When we see the clock, there's 4.13 left in the game. Immediately, as we see the timestamp, the coach is saying, Beatty, get out there. Then you flash to within probably like a few seconds of that, Beatty getting onto the ice. All of this play could not possibly be lasting for that long. Like an ice hockey shift is not that long, frankly. Like, this is a pretty fast-moving game, and from what we see depicted, this is all happening over, I don't know, if I was going to be really generous, let's say, like, 45 seconds, there is plenty of time left on the clock 
for Jack to score. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. I feel like, I mean, Jack has played a lot of hockey in his life. I know he's very competitive. He's been on some very winning teams. He almost certainly has to have been on teams when people who weren't him scored goals. Also, he probably has scored a goal within the last three minutes of play multiple times. So the fact that he is having a reaction, indeed an anxious-seeming reaction, to Biddy scoring a goal at this point in time seems like super irrational. Almost as if he has some sort of mental illness and can't help it. I mean, I guess that's how to read it, right? It's like his dad's there. He's upset that he didn't make the goal. I think the only way to rationally read it is that emotions do all kinds of things and they don't necessarily have to make sense. And he's feeling something and, you know, sometimes other people get things and you didn't even want them and you feel kind of like, ugh. Well, this is some version of that. I can see that. Here's the thing. If I think about Jack as he's been like addressed in the comic thus far, here we return again to the sort of like strip by strip versus overall sort of situation that is clearly becoming a narrative that we're really talking a lot about. I get it. He's like been helping this kid. Now the kid's going to show him up in front of his dad. He's kind of, an, like, he's been getting a little bit better, but he's kind of antagonistic. And so it would make sense that he would kind of feel this jealousy. But as, like, the first steps in introducing a love interest character who I know ultimately does not go through the kind of enemies to lovers, you know, evolution that, that I might expect to see with a character who's introduced in a somewhat antagonistic way. His attitude towards Biddy does shift, and it does shift, like, somewhat slowly, and there are some interesting things that happen. But really... There's not a huge amount of time attend, like paid on the page to this development. I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around like, why would you choose to introduce your love interest as like jealous that your main character has made a goal? He's Sundere Tomato. In theory, you could make the reading that Jack is horny because he's attracted to competent hockey playing. And he is confused and having some sort of inner psychosexual turmoil because he sees this twink scorn a goal and he's thinking, oh God, it's happening again. That said, I believe that some of the comments Ngozi has made from like the first year-ish of the comic state that Jack is not yet into Biddy he thinks Biddy is genuinely a nuisance. This comic is really... My mother used to say that I was like somebody who would whipsaw people. I've never heard anybody else use that phrase, but what she used it to mean was like changing your mind very quickly about things in a way that was like emotionally taxing for other people. Now, I think she was full of shit because she was a nutcase. However... I feel like Jack is being depicted in this comic as if he's kind of doing that. Where first he's pissed off about Biddy, then he's being helpful, then he's pissed off, then he's helpful, then he's pissed off, then he's friendly. And it just kind of like goes back and forth throughout the first year of the comic. Where it's like, he wants to be helpful, 
and he's acting like a good captain in trying to teach Biddy about checking. But then as soon as Biddy is like, I don't know, not following Jack's expectations, Jack then gets bitchy again. And it's like he forgets that he was trying to be helpful. I think you just landed on something for me that helps me contextualize this. Which, by the way, also, I'm not saying in real life everyone's rational all the time. Like, we're not. Everybody has, like, weird, complicated reactions to people in all sorts of ways. And there's no way to, like... Okay, but so it's like, you're right. You're right. That's totally true. I am a crazy person. Was I whipsawing my mother? I don't even know if that's a real word. But the thing is, when you're making a narrative artwork... You need to pick what strategy you're going to take. Are you aiming for verisimilitude where people act the way that they would act in real life? Or are you trying to like create a highly constructed narrative where people act rationally so that the reader can interpret their decision-making only within the context of the work of art and not taking into consideration human psychology. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, although, although I understand why in real life someone might have these kind of like complicated reactions, I think that in order to make that a successful characterization in a piece of media, and by successful, I mean convincing to me, Tomato Greens personally, the only standard anyone should have, obviously, as an author. I think that's where I really struggle with this. But I will say that you saying that Biddy has stopped meeting Jack's expectations or does not sort of like fit what he has sort of made a framework through which to understand Biddy helps me read into this moment because I read Jack as someone who like very much tries to control situations. Actually, I read both Biddy and Jack as people who try to control situations in very different ways. I find that really interesting because I think much of the latter half of Check, Please! is about Biddy having expectations that Jack must fulfill and that we can kind of read Jack's characterization in the latter half of the comic through that lens. One of the weaknesses of this isn't its inconsistency. People are inconsistent. And I think there's like more of an approach towards verisimilitude at the beginning of the comic than there is later when it becomes the sweeping romance that follows certain lines. I think there's like more of a slice of life thing happening at this early part of the comic. I think the problem is like that we are not given the tools in the narrative to read that inconsistency. And we can talk about that, but I think it's in part because like there are just great periods of time where we just don't see the characters and we don't see their development. And so we don't get to build these more cohesive but specific understandings of characters because their characterization relies really heavily on tropes in the genre. And when they deviate from those tropes, we're not given tools to understand how they're deviating. So I recognize the sort of like antagonist to lover trajectory that this character is going on because I've read a lot of romance in my life, but I don't know that it's actually like convincing in the text. And I don't know that I have enough detail about this character in which to understand him without connecting him to this like broader genre. So I don't find Biddy's reaction here like all that interesting, but if you do, here's your opportunity to comment upon it. Oh, I don't know. There's just something about the way he's standing with his like feet sort of like his toes meeting towards each other and his eyes really big and his face making this like, oh, little old me kind of like expression. Maybe also there's something about the way that he's standing that reminds me of like shoujo 
high manga. I read it like 13. I think he looks nondescript young. He looks nondescript boyish. If you told me this was a five-year-old, I would be like, yeah, seems fine. If you told me it was, you know, a 14-year-old, I would be like, yeah, I, I can see that. I don't think there's any outward indication of how old he actually is. I think part of that might be that he's in hockey gear, so you don't have any kind of grooming or posture subtlety that can kind of feed into that. His eyes will get much bigger than this. This is uh, a relatively restrained illustration of Biddy as far as things go. I don't know. I'm just basically shitting on his character design. But, I mean, this is a well-designed panel. The way that he's framed here is really effective. The way the hockey sticks are working, the way the people in the background are expressed, the way everything is sort of centered on Biddy, it's, it's really effective. In terms of like structuring, this is really well done. And I actually think that the hockey play in this comic is really well done as well. Now her style will get a lot more postured but there are a lot of really interesting shots here. This shot where you are standing in front of Biddy looking down the entire bench and you see the windows of the rink on the end of it. I think that's a really nice shot. I think that the actual hockey play is easy enough to follow. Again, it'll get much more complicated, but I don't know, I think for a first time outing, this is really good and it's simple and it's all packed into like eight really efficient frames. I like it. I think she did a good job. Uh, I figured out why this last panel kind of strikes me. Yeah. You're right. It is framed really well. I think the reason that, that this is calling to mind a certain kind of manga that I read like many years ago is because this posture, this sort of like wide-eyed, humble realizing you have just succeeded is a classic of romance heroines and rare in romance heroes, even in like queer romances, I think. I won't say that that's universally true. Certainly, I think that the sort of like blushing realization that you have succeeded at something you didn't expect to succeed is classic in, in like many romance genres and whoever the sort of main character is like often experiences it. But there's something in the way that it's being portrayed here that I rarely see in adult men. And I think that's pictured the way that he's standing. I think that's what's like very interesting to me is I don't think he's being positioned here in a way that I typically see. Well, maybe contrast him to the panel where he's first hopped onto the ice in the upper left-hand corner of the dialogue bubble says, hey, shit. He has kind of like a not sure what's going on look on his face. His posture sort of skating, leaning forward, hands on stick, feels more confident and more self-assured. In the panels where he's taking the shot, even though his face and the little, I don't know, reaction marks of sweat or whatever popping off of his hockey helmet kind of indicate that he's nervous and stressed out, his posture indicates that like he's competently playing hockey. So that is an interesting contrast that he's surprised that he's made the goal. It's certainly not something that struck me the first time I read this. 
but it really stuck in my brain this time, maybe because there's not that much happening in this strip. And if there were more happening, maybe I wouldn't be obsessing over how he's standing. The thing that I want to raise as we kind of wrap up here, and it's a point that will carry into the next strip, is about the basic concept of luck in sports. I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that Jack is not happy about what happened in this strip and he is going to tell Biddy it was a lucky shot. Biddy's closing his eyes when he makes the shot here. The point I want to leave off on is that luck is part of sports across the board. And I would maybe argue that there is no such thing as a non-lucky shot. Now, everything has to do with some combination of luck and skill. Obviously, your reaction time and your ability to train your puck into the goal, between the goalpost and somebody's shoulder and their glove, into a dryer in their basement, whatever. There's obviously like skill and talent involved in that, but you do also need some luck because every other player on the ice is a variable. And somebody not even necessarily trying to block you just has to, you know, accidentally skate a foot over from where they were and your shot gets blocked. There's physics involved. If that puck that bounced off the glass that Biddy was able to shoot bounced because of physics a few inches off and number 18 who's right there is able to get it first then biddy doesn't make that goal and that doesn't come down to biddy's skill or lack of skill or vice versa with number 18 it comes down to just you know the random luck of where the puck goes so my point is not to discredit biddy here It's to raise the idea that part of what's so stupid about putting so much of yourself into a sport like hockey is that no matter how much you train and how much you attempt to control things, as we can sense that Jack does, quite a lot of both, there is a certain amount of it that you are just not in control of at any given time. Luck is just a part of it. In the broader scheme of things, it's a part of it in the sense of like, who on your team happens to be injured? What does your schedule happen to look like? What time of day is this game scheduled for? What's going on in your academic life? What's going on in your personal life? All sorts of random things coalesce to create the context in which sports are played. And I would say luck is a pretty loose but fitting way to describe all of the contexts that exist with or without skill and talent. Yeah. Here, here. I think that luck in a sport that you literally play on ice is also, and physics, and sort of the kinds of physics which you can't immediately predict are really integral to a sport like hockey. So we're going to head into a strip where this accusation of it being a lucky shot is part of it. And yeah, to a certain extent, it was a lucky shot. But every shot taken in hockey is to some extent a lucky shot. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe it's an open goal shot, like at the end of the game where you've already won. I don't know. 
And what strip are we going to look at in which we can further investigate this accusation? 1.12, Samwell versus Yale, number three. Well, I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. We're going to uh, kind of meet a new character, sort of. I'm pretty excited about that. You can find us at checkdispleased.tumblr.com, and you can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com. And on Tumblr, I'm Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, and I'm familiar on AO3, and I'm around. I'm around too. I'm not like fast at responding, but you know, come talk to me about things. I've I've tried to answer some asks recently, but uh, we we've got a few in the hopper, so look out. And if you have any feelings on, you know, what sorts of let's say check please associated media we should cover in maybe a couple of fun episodes after fall semester of year one winds up and we maybe maybe throw in a, a goofy one, let us know. Let us know in the comments. We can also throw out some ideas if you need some, <laughs> but... What if we have... knew how to make a poll? <laughs> <laughs> what a world. Oh shit, I gotta go. Okay, all right. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs>